What's going on? <laughs> I want to welcome you guys to the Carolina Family Church live stream. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and apologize. I'll lean on this table. I'm floating on a table right here that you can't see. I'm not going to say I'm taller than John, but that's just how it is. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to lean on. Uh, I'm just going to lean on this table that you can't see. There's one here. Just trust me. And um, I'm going to apologize. I've had a Frosty Chino this morning. If you don't know what that is, it's a really big coffee full of vanilla Frosty from Wendy's, which is pretty good. And then we had donuts. So uh, if I shake a little bit during this, I'm, th that's what's happening. Also, I don't think I've ever been on this side of the camera in this situation. Usually I'm running the camera. Uh, so this is different for both of us. And just like Jess was this morning, I'm a little nervous. So we're going to work that out. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm lucky to be standing here to be part of this church and to be preaching to you today. Uh, the yeah. Man, the man, the myth, the hair. The hair, right. Yeah. I'm going to get a lot of that. I figured I figured on it. Um, it started out as COVID hair and just turned into, I don't want to get a haircut. So there you go. Uh, and as long as Monica can stand it, uh, which I think I'm a couple weeks past, I'm going to keep it. We'll see what happens. I'm almost through the stage where I can, you know, tuck it behind both ears and it stays there. It's just going to keep falling. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about the message. Uh, we're going to jump right into the middle of a series that we're in called Seven, and it's all about the seven letters written to the seven churches of Asia Minor in Revelation uh, 2 and 3. And I know that if you're new to the stream or if you uh, maybe are just checking in, haven't checked in in a while, when you hear Revelation, you maybe check out. Um, and right now it's really easy Right? It's really easy just to click on another church instead of having to sit through a service to figure out what's going on before you go to the next one. Now you can just click to a, a different church. But don't do that. Um, this is, in my opinion, some of the most practical information that you can get today out of the Bible. It is, uh, we talked about this last week, I think it was in a meeting. All of these letters could be written to any church today, yes. they are very relevant. Okay, Ephesus could easily be a church in America. Uh, John talked about it. Pergamum could easily be any church in America. Smyrna could easily be any church in China. Okay, these letters are very significant and very relevant to us today, which is kind of sad seeing how it was relevant to a church thousand plus years ago, and we haven't changed that much because they're still relevant to us today. But nevertheless, Revelations 2 and 3 is different than the rest of it. Okay, we can apply that directly to our lives, and I'm going to show you that. And I'm not going to go over everything else because I don't have that much time, but I will challenge you that if you are new or haven't caught up yet, go back and listen to the messages. They are amazing, especially the first one. It kind of gives you the overall history of how these churches got started, how Paul brought it in, all right? And um, I will tell you that just so you know what's going on, if you don't know, these letters were written by John from Jesus. Jesus dictated these to John. John wrote them down, and the reason he was allowed to do that or even in a place to do that is because he was uh, the per people of Rome brought him into the Colosseum, right? And I'm going to uh, try to give a little more relevant reference. I don't know if it's going to work or not. We'll see. Um, they made him run the floor is lava obstacle course, right? Yes. By himself, which is impossible. Nobody could do that. You had all the people cheering. You had Rutledge Wood over there saying the floor is lava. Oh, Please watch that family-friendly yeah. show. With it's your it's family. very. This was not it's a family. So this was not a family-friendly experience. The okay. Love is such a terrible show. It, it's so worth but it. it's family-friendly. Okay. Right. Reference. All right. We approve. So he okay. fell into the he fell into the lava, 
And Jesus said, nope, come on back out. I ain't done with you yet, all right? Lava didn't touch him. I, it's, all right, so they tried to boil him alive, right? And he came back out. It's like, hey, what's going on? So they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. And while he was there, Jesus came to him and said, hey, man, I need you to write me some letters. And John said, okay, great, let's do it. So out of that, we get these seven letters written to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And the first one was Ephesus, which is uh, the ba- kind of the banking uh, the banking capital. Then you had Smyrna, which was the port city. And then up here, you had Pergamum, which is the one we talked about last week, which was the capital. They had everything. Everything that you wanted was in one of these three places. Well, mine is Thyatira. And I'm going to tell you that it is not like any of the rest of them. Okay? John took the one, the three that had the most history, the most background, the most of the cities are still there today. He had the most to talk about and then gave me Thyatira. And I was like, great. And I started looking up and I was like, there's nothing. No. Okay. The ruins of Thyatira could fit in my backyard, not the farm, my backyard. All right. It's like this big. But it has the coolest name. Thyatira is the coolest name. Right. Thyatira, yeah, oh, that's a that's on key for once in my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> crack on myself. There you go. Uh, but anyway, Thyatira is the, the kind of the least of these in these letters. There's the least known about them. There's one reference to Thyatira in the Bible. It's in Acts. And Paul and Silas and Timothy are on their way to Macedonia to stop in Philippi. They're preaching along the way. And there's a lady there named Lydia. It says, Lydia from Thyatira. There you go. That's it. That's all you got. That is what we know about Thyatira. But I will tell you that once I got it, started studying this and I looked into what's going on in this letter, I realized that there is a lot of important things. It is it's just as relevant. This letter is just as relevant to the church today as Pergamum, as Ephesus, as Smyrna. There is nothing different. Jesus is hitting them right in a spot that we could be in today. I've been in churches that have gone through this, this very thing. And it is the longest letter with the most correction. Okay? There's a lot going on here. He comes at them, which makes, it makes this exciting and, and kind of makes the hair on my arm stand up when I get to read some of the things that Jesus is directly giving to John to send to the church that we haven't changed that much from. Okay? So let's get right into it. And we are going to be in Revelation 2, 18. And just bear with me. What we're going to do, we're going to read through this entire thing, the entire letter, all right, first. And then we're going to go back and kind of break it down. All right, so it's long. So just just hang in there, all right? Verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things said the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allowed that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, this is where it gets kind of serious, I will cast her into a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death. Did I read that right? I will kill her children with death. All right. Okay. 
And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now, to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast what you have till I come, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. And I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Woo! Okay. This is going to be fun to teach in youth group. Yes. Oh, I forgot about the... Uh, yeah, well, you know, youth group will be all right. We'll, we'll work that out. The uh, the groups uh, study this too, so uh, good luck. Anyway, all right. So let's start to break this down. And the very first thing it says, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, okay? Now, if you remember, all these letters start off the same way. They all start off to the angel of the church of where they're at. And that is just talking about the minister of that church, the pastor of that church. That would be John Allen to Carolina Family Church. And I'm sure he enjoys being referred to as the angel of Carolina Family Church. Um, I refuse to call him that. Yeah, well, I'm not going to call him that. I'm just going to reference it, okay? John is technically the angel of the church in Thyatira. I'm the, uh, I don't know what would be under the angel, but I'm just everything else that happens, okay? And right here, we see Jesus hits them right where they live, all right? He knows what's going on. He's trying to make this as relevant to them as he possibly can so they don't have to be looking at this stuff later trying to translate it. He comes right at them, and he does the same thing in all the other ones. He describes himself, all right? And uh, John might have to help me out with this. In Ephesus, you had the seven lamp, the seven lampstands and the seven stars, right? He described himself as that. In Smyrna, it was the first and last. In Ephesus, it was the double-edged sword. He had it. He was coming at him, right? Well, this one, uh, Pergamum, yeah, Pergamum. These are, these are good names, right? And then Thyatira, he starts out with, there's two descriptives, which is the only letter that he did two descriptives. And the first one he says, these things says the Son of God. All right, stop. That seems like it's pretty obvious, right? But in Thyatira, there it is. Hey, these things says the Son of God. There it is right there. Now, let me give you a little more background about Thyatira, because we do know some things about them. Uh, they are a blue-collar town, right? It's not like everything else. They don't have all the stuff. They don't have the second-largest library. They don't have coliseums. They don't have the castles. They, they are a blue-collar town. They are also a union town, which is something I think we can relate to. Coming from small towns, especially like Rockwell and the surrounding areas, we are familiar with unions. And for those of you who or maybe more in our mature audience, right? I'm not going to say older. I'm going to say mature. You, you did, though. I did. I, you are very familiar, very familiar with what a union is. They pay dues. They go to meetings. The union is supposed to protect its people, right? You have a certain amount of respect that comes with being in a union. So this is a union town. The town itself is driven by the unions. They kind of control everything. And in some scripture, they call it a guild, which, in writing this, I'll admit this might be a stretch, but I was very excited to be able to bring this terminology into this lesson because some of you uh, millennials and youths, I'd say, youths may understand the word guild 
a little more than Union from watching The Mandalorian. All right, I'm not stretching. Hold on, I'm not. It's it's coming. It's going to come around. Hold on a second. All right. So I'm a big fan of The Mandalorian. In fact, I'm making my wife watch it right now because the second season's getting ready to come out next month. And the town that The Mandalorian lives in is a union town. He is in a guild. He is in a union. He is part of that lifestyle. He is in the bounty hunter guild. All right. And he has respect from that guild. He's a family, he's in the family of that guild. He pays dues in that guild. They give him work. And as long as he's in that guild, he's kind of protected. As long as he does what they say to do. So this is what's going on in Thyatira. And if you know anything about the Mandalorian, you'll know that he has a dilemma at some point. Because there's a, spoiler alert, there's a baby Yoda, right? And he... Gives it to the Empire. I'm sorry if you hadn't seen it. It's a spoiler. There's a really cute looking baby Yoda, all right? He's adorable. And he gives them to the Empire. And then he has a problem with it because that was what he was supposed to do when he was in the guild. Then he goes and gets it back. And he's like, nope, I got a problem with this. I'm going to be the baby Yoda's daddy now, okay? I said that right. I was probably working on that. And then they come after him because that's what they do. As soon as you break the code of the Union or the guild... That's what happens. So these, this is what the pressure is like in the church at Thyatira. And I will tell you that each union has its own lowercase g god that they worship. And they, uh, they sacrifice food to them. They have shenanigans. You know, we've heard about that from previous. We'll just call them shenanigans, right? And the worship of that god helps that union progress, Right? It ensures the prosperity of that union. And all of the unions together have adopted one God as the like he's like the he's the god of music, so they worship him. All of them together adopted Apollo. Okay? And Apollo is the son of Zeus, the king god, lowercase g, the Greek god, Zeus. So they know Zeus as the king of kings. I'm coming around to it. This is a long, this is a lot. This is a lot going on. All right. That I have to, you know, I gotta fill in the gaps here. All right. So He's the king of kings, which makes Apollo, what? The son of God to them. And on their coins, his face is there written underneath it, son of God. To them, uppercase, okay? So this church is, is in this union town dealing with a culture that calls Apollo son of God. So when Jesus comes to them right off the top and says, hey, I am the son of God. He is saying, wait, 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 wait. You need to make sure everybody understands that the son of God is me. Capital G. Okay? Not lowercase g. Capital G. And then next, and I've, I had to really look at this, where he says that he has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass or varnished brass and a, a lot of other translations. This is not the first time he's been described as this, right? And... This time, Jesus is saying it himself to them. Eyes like the fame of fire, feet like burnished brass or polished brass. And what, you, what I think is happening here, all right, all the translations say that it probably speaks, is speaking to his power, his majesty, his omniscience. I think, again, he is hitting them right where they are because as a union town, they have metal guilds, right? They work in iron, they work in gold, they work in brass. And in all of those guilds, they use fire to purify that metal. 
So they would understand very well what fire meant. When he said, I have eyes like the flame of fire, he is saying, I am the purifier and feet like burnished brass. That is what happens when you heat the brass and get it as pure as it possibly can be. It turns out to be polished brass, burnished brass. He is saying, I am the best. I am the one. You're worshiping these other gods, but I am the one true son of God. Okay? So that is a lot going on in just the first verse, and we've got like 50. All right, so I'm going to watch my time here. All right? And I'm going to get going on this. So in verse 19, let's pick it up right there. Verse 19 says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Okay, stop. Great. If this was a church, I'd be like, hey, let's go to that church. If that's all he said, look, I know your works, love, service, faith, your patience. They're fantastic. Those are great things, great qualities. And as for your works... You're doing more now than you were before, right? This church is growing. This is an amazing church. Let me explain something to you very quickly. Growth in numbers does not equal spiritual growth. Yes. Okay? From the back. I'm going to say that again. Growth in numbers does not equal spiritual growth. And let me tell you, when Carolina Family Church first started, we were, I mean, we're still excited about it. We were ready to go, Right? We were going to set fire to Rowan County. We we're going to put the family back in Carolina Family Church. Carolina Family is going to put the family back in family. You know what I'm saying, right? All right. Sure. We were ready to go. We thought we were going to explode. We thought in a year we'd be running two services, okay? And we didn't do that. And a year later, a year and a half later, I think, especially in my own heart, but I felt a little, I don't want to say disappointment, but I was like, what's going on? Like, what is happening that we aren't, we are a fantastic church. We love, we do all the things that is, are going on in this church right here. How come we aren't really growing more than we are? We had growth, but it wasn't like, I think, what we expected. And what we found out is we would not have been able to handle growth if it happened to us that fast. We didn't have the things in place to disciple the people that it would have taken to handle that size of a church. We had to put groups in place, all right? We had to develop leaders that could handle that growth. If we would have exploded, we would have just been uh, a surface church, something that, you know, a lot of churches count numbers and salvations as growth. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that if all you ever do is get somebody saved and don't disciple them, you're not letting them be the best that they can be in God. There's so much more than just being saved. That's just the first part. Just knowing God is not enough. Once you know God, you live free. You find hope, and then you do good. This church is doing some of those things, but they've got other things going on. They stopped on spiritual growth. Okay? And that's what we're going to find out next. You're going to find out exactly what's going on. So let's read in verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman or tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Okay. A little more explanation. This is probably not referring to a person named Jezebel. 
this would be the equivalent of calling somebody a Judas. All right? It's not a name that was used after Judas, okay? You don't meet a whole lot of Judases. You don't meet a whole lot of Jezebels. There's a reason for that. Okay? If you go back into, I think it's 1 Kings, it's 1 Kings 18. Yeah, 1 Kings 18. I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm going to give you the quibby. <laughs> I'm trying to be relevant. I'm not. I'm, I'm a little older. Did you get that, quibby? All right. I'm going to give you the quibby of Jezebel. All right? King of Israel, Ahab, real quick. Some reason he married Jezebel. I have no idea why. No idea. I don't know if she flipped a switch on him or something else was going on. Yeah, I know. I'm just not going to say it, okay? Go okay. at shenanigans. I, I got it. Okay. All right. She's apparently, okay, Je Jess said it. I'm not going to worry about it. Anyway, so he marries Jezebel, and Jezebel immediately tries to wipe God out of the Israelites' community. That's her entire goal. She starts bringing in these uh, worship to these gods, lowercase. She starts introducing... Um, they start eating the food that they're sacrificing to the idols, to the gods. And because they've introduced shenanigans, <laughs> they start having unwanted pregnancies. And they start sacrificing those children to those gods. Oh my gosh. She has, I mean, she's totally changing the face of the Israelites. That is her major goal. And at the end, she tries to kill all the Lord's prophets. Like she is single-handedly trying to wipe God out of Israel. So right here, they all know that. When he says, this Jezebel, this is a strong word from Jesus. He is saying, you have got something going on right here. And besides that, you're letting her teach in my house. She is teaching the servants. And they are going out and participating in the immorality. It, Jesus is not playing. This is serious. That's what he means when he says, when he talks about Jezebel. And if we go back to understand the, what's going on in Thyatira just a little bit. All right, if you lived in that town and your entire existence was based on a union, right? You were in that union. You were... You are participating in, uh, that's where you got your work. That's how you lived. That's how you got the money to buy things. You relied on that union. And then just like the Mandalorian, you decide to go against it. What would happen? They'd exile you. They'd say, good luck. You would no longer be in the, you'd peace out. They'd no longer be able to work in this town. So they have these pressures of trying to stand up for Jesus and at the same time work and live. And I'm just trying to get you to understand that instead of influencing the culture, they let the culture influence them. Okay? Instead of going out and being Jesus to the world, they let the world influence them. So they let, they let this prophetess, who's referred to as a Jezebel, come in and start doing the same things with them that the Jezebel did in Israel before, in 1 Kings. She is introducing them to all these things, and they are teaching it from the church. And I've seen glimpses of Jesus being angry in the Bible before, but what he says next, you know he did not come to play, okay? 
He is dropping the hammer on this church. This is a serious thing going on. All right, so let's pick it up back up in verse 21. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works." Jesus is ticked off, okay, to say the least. Jesus will not tolerate this. Let me, let me explain something to you real quick. Sometimes I think we like to look at Jesus as he's on a lazy Susan, right? For those of you who don't know what that is, it's a board that spins around, you can pick stuff off. If you open your pantry or maybe like a corner cabinet, sometimes it'll have that thing that spins, you pick stuff off, and you never get the stuff out of the back, if right? If your mom is named Susan, she doesn't appreciate jokes. Okay, I'm not gonna joke. I'm not gonna make jokes about the lazy Susan. Oh, I get it, lazy Susan. All right, well, it's it's a Susan. I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. All right, it's this board that circles around. That it has stuff on it. You can get to it by circling around to you. Okay, I don't care. However, you want to name it, I don't care. Let's get past it. It's a lazy Jeremy. It's a lazy Jeremy. I'll call him. I'll call myself out. Thank you, John. All right, Peanut Gallery says lazy Jeremy. All right. Uh, anyway, there's boxes on that lazy Jeremy. And when you want something from Jesus, you pick out what you want. You pick out the attribute. Say, hey, I want some love today. Hey, I need mercy today. I need uh, a little patience from you today. I need forgiveness today. We dial up the Jesus that we want, and we pull that attribute out of those boxes and think, hey, we're great. And in the back, there's this other box, the one you never get to. And it's shaking. And it's you know, it's like Jumanji, when you get close to it, it's like, ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. This is the Jesus in the back, and we like to think about that Jesus. But it is very real, and you can't have one without the other because Jesus does not tolerate sin. He is holy and righteous and cannot have it. And when they introduce sin as a teaching in his church that he just died for, he says, I will, what did he say? I will kill you to death or with death. Okay. He was going to get them, basically. He's saying, I'm coming after you and your kids. Better hide your kids, hide your wife. That's, I don't know where that came from. Forget it. These, these <laughs> social, these things just pop in my head. You know, it's a product of Instagram and social media. That's, I have no memories replaced with things like that. You know, so, but anyway, this is what he's saying. I, am, I cannot tolerate sin. And in this culture, right now, specifically, we are in a place that preaches that intolerance is unacceptable. We're supposed to let everybody be themselves. You be you. Don't worry about it. And I, I was talking to somebody about this, uh, that, and I'm trying to speak to a little bit of Jesus in their life anyway, and they said, I don't understand... Why would a church not be tolerant? Because tolerant seems like a good thing. Listen to me. We're supposed to be tolerant of the sinner, not the sin. Jesus loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Okay? If a church was full of sinless people, 
there'd only be like half the churches left, right? So we think. There'd be no churches left because there is not, no such thing as a sinless person. All have sinned and come short. All have sinned and come short. But Jesus cannot tolerate the sin, but he loves the sinner. If you remember uh, the when Jesus was writing in the sand, you know, they brought the adulterous woman, threw her in the middle of the street. They came at Jesus because they were kind of trapping him. I think that's in John 8, right? And <laughs> they said, this is the law of Moses. We call her an adultery. Says we're supposed to stone her. And he's writing in the sand. You know, and I'm, this is the even shorter story of this. He gets up and says, hey, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And then he walks over to her and says what? Go and teach adultery in the church. No. Oh, no. Nope. No. He doesn't do that. He says, go. I forgive you. Sin no more. Stop what you're doing. He does not tolerate the sin. He can't. He is holy and righteous. And this is why I can appreciate the fact that in this church, we try as hard as we possibly can to get this right. We study every day. We pray every day to get this right for you. Because without this, we are nothing. And there are churches every day. Every day there's a church that pops up because they didn't like what somebody taught. So they go make their own church. The first reformed of whatever. Right? Because somebody did got their feelings hurt. Because they're living in sin and thinks it ought to be okay. And when that teaching came up against it, they decided they didn't like it. So instead of repenting of that sin, they go start something new and they pull out scripture out of this. They make it sound so good. You cannot have a little bit of this without having all of it. This is the truth. And from the scripture that we just read of how Jesus handles people who misuse this, I do not want to be that person. The worst thing that could happen to me is I get to see Jesus and he says, you got it wrong. You were teaching something evil in my house. I do not ever want to hear that. So we use this. We try as hard as we can to get this right for you. 100%. All of it. Not just a little bit of it. All of it. Jesus does not tolerate sin. But I will tell you, I get a little bit more of the Jesus that we want to think about in the middle of that. I read right over it, bypassed it. And in fact, the first time I read it, I thought I was so hung up on what he was doing to these people, what he was going to do, that I missed it right in the middle of it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. I'm gonna pull it out right here. He says, unless they repent of their deeds. That's my Jesus right there. Right? He is as angry as I've ever seen him. He is calling them out. He's gonna kill them. And then he says, But I died for you. So unless you repent, I'm still giving you the opportunity. I still love you. Even you, even the Jezebel, I died for her too. 
All you have to do is repent. He loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And then he does what every good letter writer does. Every good book on leadership, every John Maxwell book does this, right? John knows this very well because he's used it on me before. You bring them up, which is what he did, and then you tear them down, which is what he did, and then you bring them back up. Every time John comes to me and he praises me for something, I think, whoa. <laughs> okay, you idiot. All right, I'm getting ready for it. John knows this. It came from Jesus. It's right here. All right? This, he's being Christ-like. He is the angel of the church, of Carolina Family Church, okay? This is what's happening. So he tore him down. He said, I'm going to kill you to death, all right? Unless you repent. And then in verse 24, he starts to bring him back up. Now, I am going to tell you that verse 24 through 29 could be an entire month of series, all right? There's a lot going on here. There's a lot of revelation speak in here. I am going to break it down very quickly, and uh, if you have questions about it, feel free to ask. We'll answer them. This church gets revelation better than any church I've ever been in, okay? So, here we go. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do, as, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, okay? This is saying the people who held on to what was true. People who didn't participate in the stuff that was going on in the unions. They didn't sacrifice. They didn't uh, have shenanigans, all right? The people who have held on to my word, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, which is relief from what he just said, okay? That's got to come as some relief to them. But hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Okay, look. This has already been promised. This is in Psalm 2, 6, 7, 8, 9. All right? They would have read this. They already know this. So he's again coming to them with stuff they already know. He is bringing a promise to them that they would have already read. It's not like us who has to go back and figure out what's going on. They would know this very well. When he talks about giving them power over the nations, let's talk about when Jesus comes back. All right, there's a kingdom period when we rule over the nations. Those who have held on right before, the people he described right before this, they're going to rule over the nations with him. That's what he's saying. All right, there's more going on, but that is the bottom line to that. They would already know this. They would know that promise. If you want to read it, it's in Psalms 2, 6. All right? They would have read this. They know it. And this next part where he says, He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. I have also have received from my Father, okay? They already know this. They were going to rule over the nations. The iron, they would know what this, this iron staff that they're going to crush these uh, vessels with. It represents power, the power they're going to have with Jesus that was given to him from the Father on this rule over the nations, all right? A short story of this, okay? But that's the bottom line. Those who hold on are going to rule with Jesus over the nations when he comes back. There'd be a period time of that, okay? And then he says, I will give him the morning star. The morning star is Jesus. Later on in Revelation 22, 22 it says, the morning star is Jesus. It says that. You don't have to, we don't have to wonder about that. We don't have to go find it. It says the morning star is Jesus. And what he's saying there is, I'm going to give you all of myself. 
You will have me in the fullest. You will have the full authority, the full power. Everything that comes with me, you will have it. If you hold on to what is true, to what I have taught you. That's what he's saying right there. And then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, we got through the letter. There's a lot going on. Let's talk about some practicals, okay? Uh, I didn't have a really good transition for this. So I'm, this is how I'm transitioning it. The floating table. The floating table, the table right here that the Bible sits on. Okay. Let's talk about some practicals. First off, number one, there's three of them. What are you doing with this? I'm going to ask you again, what are you doing with this? You should be reading this every day. It's not enough to come and listen to us, okay? One Sunday a week for 30 minutes is not enough for you to be who you need to be in this. If you're still a baby Christian, it's because you are not reading this. You're not applying it to your life. That is the only way you'll know when somebody like Jezebel comes in and starts teaching something that is untrue. You have to know this stuff for yourself. We study every day to bring you the truth, but we need you to be doing it with us. Devotions, read and pray. Get into the, this is God's word straight to you. This is like Jesus writing the letters to John. He wrote this for you and me to guide us through this life, to live the best life we can live in him. And if you let this sit on a shelf and collect dust, you're not doing yourselves any favors. Listen to me. <laughs> there are consequences for sin. This church was seeing that. Jesus was saying, these are the consequences for what you're doing. I do not tolerate it. And there are consequences for it. Regardless of who you are, if you're saved or not, there are consequences for sin, period. Luckily, we know the Savior. And He will forgive us of those, but there are always consequences. Sin is it's fun in time, or you wouldn't do it. Sin is fun in the moment, but it will leave you destructed and dead. It will destroy you from the inside out. That's why Jesus doesn't want you to do it. Doesn't, that's why he doesn't want you to live in it and participate in it, because he knows it will destroy you. He loves you enough to tell you to stop sinning because it's going to destroy you from the inside out, and that's not what I want for you. He does not tolerate it. But being a Christian, being saved, doing the right thing is tough in the moment. Just like the people who are being influenced in that town by the union, it's tough in the moment. But the benefits way outweigh what's being tough right then. It builds you up instead of destroying you. When you're a part of the union of God, when you're in his family, he protects you. You're part of his family, okay? And God says right here, I am the son of God. I have the power. The consequences of sin is death. But Jesus came to stop that. 
Number two, just like the church there, are you influencing the culture around you? Or are you being influenced by the culture? This is the one of the biggest ones. Are you the same today as you are tomorrow? If we were meeting today at church, would you be the same in that church building as you were Saturday night? Would your friends know that you're different? And that's a very easy thing to see. You could ask them. If you know they're doing stuff that's wrong and you participate, you're not different. You're not being Jesus to them. They're being sin to you. And I, if you're out there right now, I'm going to plug this, okay? I'm going to plug this for the church. This is a, um, a PR note for us, all right? If you are out there and you say, well, I just don't have any friends that uh, are Christians. If I'm around people, they're different, I, and I don't want them to, you know, I still want to have friends. Get in the group. Yes. We have groups for this reason. When I talked about not being able to grow because we weren't able to handle the discipleship of these people, we didn't have groups in place. Now we do. We need you to get in those groups so you can be discipled, so we can disciple other people. If all you do is Sundays and you're never around anybody that believes in this and you're not in a group, it will bring you down. Get in a group. They are important. Okay? That's number two. Are you influencing culture or is culture influencing you? And the last one, and this is, this is a big, this is a question and it's a big deal and I need you to think about it because it's relevant to all of us. What sin are you tolerating? What in your life are you just letting it be? And that could be anything. It could be something from real, something from one of the thou shouts, one of the top 10, you know? The ones that are easy to see, that somebody else could see just by looking at you. But there's lots of little ones that you hide very well. And you've done them so long, they're easy to hide. And they become part of your life. What are you tolerating? That could be anything from having trouble with gossiping to drinking too much to drugs and those are pretty big ones, but there are lots of other ones. Selfishness. Little things like that. You're tolerating that sin. That is not from God. And sin has its consequences. As we can see, those things will bring you down. They'll tear you out. From the inside out, they will tear you up. All right? God says, let me have that. I'll take it. I will forgive you of it. I will take it from you so you can replace it with me and live your best life. This entire letter for our church is relevant because we're supposed to be teaching this. And we are, but we need you to help us with it. We need you to get in it. Get in a group. Figure out what you're tolerating. Get it out of your life. All right? Thank you, guys. Let's pray. Hey, God. Man, we love you so much. Thank you for this opportunity today for me to come and preach something that you laid on my heart that <laughs> just something that made the hair on my arm stand up every time I read it because I can see the passion that you have. I can feel the passion that you have 
in this letter for something that you hold very close to your heart, which is the church. And when something is going on in the church that is not right, you will not stand for it. Thank you so much for loving us enough that you gave us a way to fix it. That you sent your son to die on a cross for our sins. You loved us enough to sacrifice yourself so that we could come be with you. I ask that you would show us in the coming week what sin we are tolerating, what lifestyle we are leading that is not something you would approve of. You would allow us to work on that, to ask forgiveness of it, and then to work on it, to get it out of our lives so that we can live the best life possible in your union, in your family. So when we see you, you can say, you got it right. You got it right. We love you. Jesus, now I pray. Amen.